I'm going to turn back to the book of Job again for today, and I want for today to begin by turning to chapter 23. The title for today is going to be The Meaning of True Faith. Today, I want to continue to talk about faith. I want to examine what faith is. I want to talk about how God builds faith in a trial of faith. We've touched on these things so far in the book of Job. I want to expand on them for today. And I particularly want to examine from Scripture how faith comes to be in you and I. How can you come to have more faith? I think that all of us have cried out to God and ask God to increase our faith. We even have the disciples doing that. And I think it's Luke 17. They come to him and they say, Lord, increase our faith. If you examine that chapter, and I'm not going to take the time to turn there, you'll find that he didn't increase their faith. He didn't turn to them and say, presto change, oh zap, now you have more faith. Instead, he told them a story. And what he was getting at there is that faith doesn't come to be by God going zap. Faith comes to be in you and I through a process. A process that God initiates, but nevertheless one that has to take place. And so we're going to talk about those things today. In Job chapter 23, I believe this is a pivotal chapter in the book of Job because it seems to be a point in Job's great trial when he began to turn a corner in the sense that light began to dawn on him. He still did not understand why God had allowed what had happened. He still couldn't find God. But in this chapter, we see just a little bit of light breaking forth to the effect that Job is beginning to get a little bit settled on the fact that regardless of his inability to understand, it's okay, because God understands. How many understand that one of the definitions or meanings of faith is that I may not see God, but I can know and trust that God sees me? We could say this another way. I may not understand God or what he's doing, but God understands what he is doing. And I can take confidence in that. How many understand that God's a whole lot smarter than we are? He sees the beginning from the end. He sees things through eternal eyes. He does not make mistakes. He's not confused. He's not making stuff up as he goes along. He doesn't need us to inform him of things that we think he's missed. And he doesn't need us to direct traffic for him. Well, part of what it means to believe and trust God is that we come to discover that. Now let's read here in Job 23. Job's going to lament a few things here, and then he's going to have what I think is a bit of a, an expression of faith. He says to his friends, starting in verse 2, even today is my complaint bitter, and my stroke is heavier than my groaning. And so Job is under the gun. This trial is exacting great suffering out of him. The physical trial of having boils from head to foot, 
the loss of his children, the loss of all of his possessions, and now he has these counselors sitting around him giving them all of their advice. And if you read the end of the book of Job, Job, I mean, God was not pleased with what these friends of Job said to him. At the end of the book of Job, God says, Your friends have not spoken rightly of me, as Job did. Now, what they were saying to him, and we talked about this last week, is that Job, they were saying to him, you must have sinned somewhere, or else this bad stuff would not have happened to you. We saw last week how the belief system, if I can use that term, of not only the friends of Job, but in the beginning of Job himself was, that if you obey and believe God, good things will happen to you, and frankly, nothing but good things. If you don't, obey and believe God, well, you're in for a bad time, indeed, at God's hand. And this is what they all believed. Job was a good and upright man who loved God and hated evil, God said at the beginning, and yet God allowed Satan access to Job to bring about all this suffering. This did not agree with their belief system. Neither Job nor his friends had any frame of reference for obeying and believing God and yet coming in to great trial. And therefore the reasoning was, Job, you must have sinned or else this bad stuff wouldn't have happened to you. And Job, who also believed this to begin with, had no consciousness of sin. He could not find in his own self-examination, any place in his life where he had sinned. And as we're going to read here in a minute, he was open to the conviction of God, because we can be blind to that, can't we? And still, God himself was not convicting him of any sin. So Job had all of this horrible calamity come upon him, and there was no reason for it. God said, found in Job's conduct, and Job, in not being able to find any reason for it in his conduct, was therefore seeing the truth. There wasn't any reason his friends wouldn't believe that. And continually nagged him, trying to get him to confess sin that was not there. How many know that if you and I waste our time confessing sin that we haven't committed, sort of like to appease our guilt, or if we think that that'll make God happy, people do that. If we waste our time doing that, we're not telling the truth. Confession of sin is the result of God showing us the truth. It's the result of conviction by the spirit of truth. Well, if God's not convicting us of sin and we're confessing it anyway, well, it's not the truth. And so Job was absolutely correct at this point in stating, I don't know where I've sinned. He was correct in stating that because not only had God not convicted him of any sin, but in fact, with the light that he had, he was not guilty of any. And so there's this conflict going on, this tension here in this 
conversation because Job's friends had no place in their thinking or belief system for such a possibility that a good man who was obeying God could encounter these kinds of trials. And Job is under that. He, he's under the heaviness of all of this. He says, my stroke is heavier than my groaning. In other words, I can't even express how difficult this is. Now in verse 3, notice what he says about his current perception and relationship with God. He says, oh, that I knew where I might find God. Then I would come even to his seat. And when I get there, in other words, I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with questions. And then, if I were able to do that, Job is saying, then I would know the words, or in other words, I would hear and understand the words which he would answer me. And I would understand because of what he says to me. And so what Job is basically stating here is the same thing you and I say when we are in a trial, when we can't seem to find God. We say to ourselves before the Lord, we say to the Lord, God, if I could just come into your presence, and if I could just ask you, and if you would just give me the information, if you would just tell me what you're doing or what I ought to do, then we think that that will solve the problem. Now, I can say without any possibility of being wrong that it won't solve the problem. And the reason that I can say that is, number one, what we need is not information. What we need is a revelation of Jesus. And I've covered that in these messages. That's number one. But number two, the reason I know it won't solve the problem if we come before the Lord, ask a question, and simply have him answer it, it won't solve the problem because we're asking those questions all the time, aren't we? And we are in God's presence if we're a Christian. Christ is in us. And what are we getting as an answer most of the time? Silence. Right? Now, how many understand that the silences of God, if he is being silent, now I say if because I dare say that for some people, the silence of God is not God's silence. It's them closing their ears to what he's saying. How many understand there's two ways for you to be blind to God? Number one, you don't have any light. You're not to blame for that. But number two, you could be blind to God because you've closed your eyes. You still can't see, but guess whose fault it is? Same thing with hearing. You may not hear because God's not speaking. He's silent, but there's another reason people don't hear. They harden their heart and they close their ears. And so here we're talking, however, about someone who doesn't have any light. We're talking about situations where God is silent to us. When God is silent to us, that's his answer. He wants to be silent. And therefore, because God is love, we're going to know that his silence is the best answer and it is his love to us. God Almighty does not sit in heaven, leaving it up to us to sort out these problems. He doesn't leave it up to us 
to try to figure out what the right button is to push to get his attention. If you're a believer and Christ is in you, there's nothing you can do or be that's outside of God's attention. No, the silence of God is his answer to draw us in further if only we would come. It's his answer to believe and walk by faith. Like I said before, I may not hear God, but God hears me. I may not see God, but God sees me. And that's what we're in when God is being silent. And by faith, we need to believe that and walk along. Well, let's read here some more. Notice starting in verse 8. Here is Job's spiritual condition, or shall we say his spiritual position in his own understanding of God at this point in this great trial. He says, Behold, I go forward, but God is not there, and backward, but I cannot discern him or perceive him. I look to the left hand where he works, but I can't behold him. He hides himself on the right hand that I can't see him. Now, doesn't it often seem that way in the Christian life? Even for those who have Christ in them. It doesn't matter if you go forward, backward, or to either side. It doesn't matter how hard you look, how hard you strain. It doesn't matter how much you think that you've got to hear from God, no matter how you cry out to him for an answer or explanation, or to tell you what to do, or at least to tell you what he's doing. There are times when none of that produces the thing, except silence. You're just in the thing, and you can't go forward. You can't go backwards. And you can't go from side to side. It is almost as if you are in a spiritual prison cell, if I can put it that way. Now, all of this, of course, is good. We don't know it's good when we're in it, but I'm, I'm trying to draw a picture here. We're stuck. God isn't talking. We think we've got to move or, or, or we'll just die. Something's got to happen soon or we'll just die, but nothing is happening. And there isn't any indication whatsoever that God has even heard a word that we have said. And when things are like that, our emotions rise up, fear rises up, anxiety rises up, and it confuses us. It begins in our soul man to stir things up that could possibly give ground to the enemy. We can't move. We're paralyzed in one sense of the word, as far as we can tell. Of course, we're not. Now, in verse 10, here's the glimmer of truth that Job expresses that shows us that he's starting to get it. Job says in 23.10 here, book of Job, I can't see God, I can't move forward or backward, left or right, but, in verse 10, but God knows the way. God knows the way that I take. Again, I may not know the way, but I can put my faith in the one that does know the way. I can hold God's hand by faith, walking through the dark day. 
But God knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Now, right there it is. That's exactly what 1 Peter 1.7 says when it speaks of the trial of your faith, which is more precious than gold. I shared this in a past message, but when gold is tried by fire, it is to purify the gold, to bring all of the impurities to the surface that they may be taken away, that they may be discarded, so that the gold will then be all the more pure. And this is a picture of what God is doing in any trial. If you and I are in a trial of faith, it is an absolute fact that all the impurities of our faith and relationship with God are going to come to the surface. They're ugly. Some of it may be sin. There's going to be unbelief there. It isn't that God wants that, but it's in us. We just don't see it. God already does, and he's bringing it to the surface. I remember about, it had to have been probably 35 years ago, I was living in California, and I was driving on the freeway, and at that point in time, I did not have a lot of fun in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. I hated it. And on one particular day, it was getting to me, and I yelled at somebody in anger and in frustration that had cut out in front of me. And in the aftermath of this, of course, what we usually do is what I did. I felt really guilty, and I felt like I had to fess up to God and kind of patch it up, do damage control, and tell him how sorry I was. And I did that, and something dawned on me. And I won't say that God spoke this to me. It was a revelation that I'm now putting in words. And I think you'll know what I mean by that. It isn't so much that God speaks to us in a voice inside of our head when we see truth as much as it's just light dawns. And then we're able to say it in words. And that's what I'm going to do here. It was as if the Lord was saying to me, you feel bad about what you just did because it hurt your pride. You thought you were more righteous than that. You didn't know that all of that anger was inside of you. And so when it came out like this, you're a bit shocked. And he's, he was right, I was. And it was as if God was also saying, but I have known this has always been in you. It was just a traffic jam that was needed to bring it out to the surface. Now, confess it. Don't confess it because you think your confession is going to put a band-aid on it and make it okay. Confess it because it's the truth. It's the truth and then receive the fact that God's already known about that, had already forgiven you, but now you can receive by faith the forgiveness that has already been there in Christ for you. God allows horrible trials to come upon you and I to bring to the surface that which is hindering our faith and hindering our life in Christ so that if we'll confess them in the light and begin to put our faith in Christ we can get free. I absolutely believe with all of my heart
that there is simply no way that you and I can possibly put our faith solely in Jesus Christ until God does a work to show us that there's nothing in ourselves in which to put faith. You and I come out of the womb putting faith in ourselves, and then when we get religion, we walk in self-righteousness. And Christians by the millions every day walk thinking that their walk with Christ, if they believe and obey Him, is somehow earning them or making them righteous or maintaining the grace of God. We do that all the time. We want to stand God's good side to get His blessings and avoid His curse. That self-righteousness is another gospel. It's so ingrained to us, into us we can hardly even imagine we could be guilty of it. But it's a mentality. God has to expose us for what we are. Utterly and completely barren, and that's the best case. We're really filled with enmity against God and all kinds of soulish and fleshly desires. And I don't mean immoral things necessarily. Everything imaginable. Selfish, self-centered things to serve our own selves and our own lives. God will allow things to come in to bring all of that out in us. Now, it is only if we come to that and see that and know it and confess it and with all of our heart want to get free of it that it's going to dawn on us, my God, I've been putting faith in myself. My God, and we'll fall to our knees and we'll say, I'm putting my faith solely in Jesus Christ because there's nothing in me upon which to base my faith. Until we come to that point, we may have a partial faith in Christ, especially when things are going good. But until we come to the point where we see there's nothing here to put faith in, we're really not going to be able to put our faith in Christ. We need to be set free. Oh, we can do it doctrinally. We can grasp the concept and say, I agree with that, and that's fine if that's where we are. I did that for decades. But we've got to be brought not simply to see a doctrinal truth, we've got to be guided into the truth. We have to come in to the reality of Jesus Christ. And if we do, we're going to see there's nothing in ourselves. That's why it's so scary when people begin to talk about their own righteousness. They can't possibly have their faith in Christ. They can't possibly have seen the truth because to talk about your own righteousness is to talk about a lie as if it's the truth. Well, Job began to see here that he was in a trial that was allowed by God and he said, I shall come forth as gold. In other words, there is an end to this that's greater than what I can see while I am in it. And Job began to see that. Now, at this point, I think we're perfectly right in saying that Job is beginning to come forth as gold. And as such, because of this trial of his faith, his faith being more pure, it's, I think, correct to say that real faith is starting to come to be in this man, Job. I wonder if Job, before this trial, ever asked God to give him more faith. Well, if he did, 
God's now answering that prayer. And like I said earlier, it isn't by God going presto change o zap. Now you have more faith. It's by God building and proving and establishing that faith through a fiery trial. So faith is coming to be in Job. Let's talk about this for a few moments. How does faith come to be in you and I? If it isn't by just asking God for more faith and then waking up the next morning with it, how does it come to be? Let's turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10.17 is a scripture that is quoted very often by Christians. But if you're like me, and you begin to really read this and think about what it's saying, you might discover that you haven't really understood what's being said here. Paul says in Romans 10.17, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Let's notice a couple of things here in the wording. First of all, when Paul says, so faith comes, what's he talking about? Where? Well, he's talking about faith coming to be in you and I. That's the only place faith comes to be. Faith isn't out here floating around in the air. Faith is in people. So when he talks about faith coming to be, he's talking about faith coming to be in us. But notice... So then, faith comes. How many see that that very small phrase tells us, point blank, that faith must come? In other words, it's not in you and I to begin with. Have we recognized that? So then, faith comes. That's proof that it has to. It's not there to begin with. So when we talk about the necessity of faith coming to be in you and I, we'll get as to how that happens in a minute, we're talking about something that we weren't born with, that needs to be built, edified, that needs to come to be. Now, a related truth here that's important to, to mention at this point. If faith needs to come to be, in you and I. Can we see that true faith does not generate from you and I as the source? Can we see that we are wasting our time getting into all of this trauma, trying to muster up the faith out of ourselves and shoot it up to God to get him moving? There's no faith in there to muster up. There is no faith born into the Adamic race. When you and I were born into this world, we didn't have any life in us. We didn't have any truth in us. And therefore, we didn't have any faith in us. It is absolutely impossible for a human being left to himself in Adam to produce any faith at all unto God period. Now you can have human faith. You can have religious faith. You can create out of your human imagination a religion, even a version of Christianity. You can create a Christ out of your imagination and think that's the one that's in you and put your human faith in that and think it's real faith. 
People do this kind of thing all the time. But it's not real. It's of human origin, and true faith is never of human origin. True faith has to come to be in you and I, which means that the origin or the source of true faith has to be from one other than ourselves, namely Jesus Christ. Faith has to come to be from the outside of us, into us from the outside. Of course it does. That's how Jesus needs to come. I don't know how many times God has to tell us over and over that nobody has anything of value except it is received from above. So faith has to come to be in you and I. Now, how does it come to be in you and I? Well, Romans 10.17 tells us, Faith comes to be in us by hearing, and more specifically, by hearing the Word of God. Now notice this. I cannot believe unless God speaks. That's what Romans 10.17 is saying. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Well, if faith can only come by my hearing the word of God, how many understand that God has to speak that word? So what this does is it tells us, now that we've got it established, that faith can't originate from us. What it does for us is it tells us that God Almighty has to take the initiative to reveal to us truth, to reveal to us Christ, and it is only if he does that, we can call that speaking or revealing, it's only if God speaks revelation of Jesus to us. It's only if he does that that we can hear, that there's anything to hear. And then, if we hear, faith is born. How many understand that you and I cannot believe the truth we cannot trust God unless God takes the initiative to reveal. We wouldn't have anything to believe otherwise. You can't just sit there completely void of truth and say, I believe. You believe what? God has to reveal, and then you have something to hear and thus believe. Now, again, what this begins to do is that it opens up a meaning of faith that we need to hear. Faith is a relationship word. That relationship begins to be established when God reveals himself in some way to us, whether it be through scripture or circumstances or into our heart. God speaks, he begins to reveal. And that really means that God is initiating or continuing a relationship. Because if we hear and faith is increased, our relationship with God is increased. Faith is a relationship. It's the relationship with God of faith. And as I've noted, that is initiated by God when he brings light or when he speaks or reveals the truth about himself. Now, if, and this is a big if, 
if we embrace the light and truth that God brings, then the reality of faith will come to be in me. Now, again, how many see that whatever has to come to be in me is not initially of me? No, it's of God. Faith is the result of God speaking and me hearing. And what is born of faith is of God in me. Now, notice something here, just as an aside. Romans 10.17 clearly states that faith comes by hearing God. And yet you will hear word of faith, heresy preachers. I heard a tape of Joseph uh, Prince the other day on YouTube saying that if you just confess with your mouth over and over again certain things, that eventually that will create faith in yourself. Kenneth Copeland has said that faith is a force that we generate up to God. Another lie. Faith does not come by you and I speaking. Not even the same thing, not even scriptures over and over again. You can repeat scriptures over and over and over again till you know them in your sleep, and that doesn't mean that you have faith in God. You can't birth faith by doing that. Faith does not come by speaking. Faith comes by hearing what God speaks. It's so clear and so obvious and we need to wrap our heart around it. God Almighty says that He is going to be continually speaking and seeking to guide us into all the truth. We need to hear. We need to embrace. Now what does that mean? It means that when God begins to unfold Himself, we need to surrender to Him. We need to give ourselves to Him. Now somebody's going to ask the the chicken and egg question, and I've heard this ask, well, if faith comes by hearing the Word of God, then how do you get enough faith to hear the Word of God? It, Romans 10.17 doesn't say that initially you have to have faith to hear the Word of God. Romans 10.17 says faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So the question is really, what is the motivation for a human being, once God reveals truth, to hear? Well, that's a supernatural awakening of God. How many understand that when God reveals and when God speaks, that awakens in us the ability, if I can put it that way, to hear? God doesn't talk just to hear the sound of his own voice. He doesn't talk and then, you know, under his breath say, well, I sure hope somebody can hear me. No, when God speaks to you and I, it can penetrate any blindness, any deafness, or any darkness. Now, he's not going to violate free will. If you'll notice in the Bible, it never says God makes anybody believe anything or do anything. It simply says that God brings light. But it will make, that light will make it possible for us to see and to hear. Think of a natural light. If you're in a totally dark room and the lights come on, well, you're, you're able to see at that point, aren't you? It doesn't matter whether you want it to or not. You can. Now, you have to choose. 
you can either walk in that light or you can shut your eyes and make it dark again. And people were making those choices all the time before the Lord. No, when God speaks or brings light, it awakens something in even an unsaved person so that if they're unsaved, they can see the light of Christ and come to him. God doesn't make them come to Christ. They can refuse. But faith then is possible if they will open themselves. But this is something God initiates. Calvinism would say whatever God speaks, we have to hear. Because if we're one of the elect, we will. That's just how it is. And if we're not one of the elect, we won't hear. And it's all set in stone. No, God speaks all the time. And we will be able to recognize and hear. If God speaks to us, it's up to us whether we do. And there'll be enough grace there just to turn, but we can harden ourselves against it. And so faith comes not by us speaking, not by us thinking, not by us being emotional. How many understand faith is not emotional? Faith is not intellectual. Faith is spiritual, and behind that, really, faith is moral. In the final analysis, faith is a relationship initiated by God between God and man, wherein man embraces God and begins to rely, depend, and trust God. And ultimately, of course, it would all lead to surrender. If my faith in God doesn't lead me to give myself to him, well, it's a faith certainly that is stopping short. Now, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Now, here's the question then. What is the word of God that God speaks? Well, Jesus Christ is the word of God, isn't he? Jesus Christ is the living word. Now, we don't have to guess at this. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 says what God speaks. It says there in verse 1, God, who at different times and in different manners, spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. And the implication here is, going into verse 2, that he's not doing that anymore that way. It says, but in these last days, God has spoken to us in a son. Now this could very easily be translated son-wise. It's basically telling us that the language, if I can say it this way, the language in which God is speaking to his people is through an ongoing inward revelation of the person of Jesus Christ who is in us. God is speaking to you in his Son. You see, we go around, we want leadings, and for God to tell us what to do, and for God to explain stuff to us and all of that. And I'm not saying that God won't sometimes provide that. Of course he will. But again, only if we really need it. We're being told right here, and the implication is all through Scripture, that God is speaking to us through a revelation in an inward way of his Son, and if we come to know Jesus, then, by extension, out of that, we're going to begin to know God's will. We're going to begin to have wisdom. It says in Colossians 2.3 that all of the treasures 
of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ, are hidden in Christ. And it is only as he has unfolded that those treasures of wisdom and knowledge can be known by us. Why are we asking God for wisdom and for knowledge and for this and for that apart from Christ? We need to ask him to reveal to us more of Jesus. And then all of those things will come right along. And so it says here that God is speaking to us in his Son. Now, that's the word that God primarily speaks to you and I, whereby if we hear and embrace, faith comes to be in us. It's a revelation sunwise. It's an unfolding of Jesus Christ. So, I think I mentioned this at the end of the message. If it wasn't last week, it was the week before. Instead of always asking God to give us more faith, what we need to do is ask God to reveal to us more of Jesus. If God reveals to us more of Jesus and we hear him and see him and open ourselves to him, then faith will come to be in us. Now, if we would just see this, and understand the truth on this, it would set us free from all of this struggle of trying to have faith. Trying to muster up the faith out of ourselves. We don't need to do that. We just need to put it all aside and hear God. I think though that most of us are so trained emotionally such that we think that faith is sort of a good feeling about something, or, or, or that it's a very positive vibe. If we feel real good and have this great sense of whatever in ourselves, we think that's faith. And yet, how many understand that you can be the most deceived person in the body of Christ and feel that way, and think that you have the truth? People do. People raise their hands in worship to God with tears running down their cheeks and they are living in absolute deception. It's going on everywhere, not putting down their worship. I'm just saying that that's not necessarily real faith. It's not necessarily proof that they're in worship. No, faith comes by hearing. The Word of God, which is an ongoing, unfolding and revelation of Jesus Christ who is in us. That's how faith comes to be in you and I. And yet notice something here. That's also how Jesus Christ comes to be formed in you and I. Can we see that the forming of Christ in us are coming into an inward realization of Him? That and faith in Christ go hand in hand. Now that ought to make sense because it is only as we hear and realize the revelation that God's giving that faith comes to be. You can't believe otherwise. You can't believe if God is not giving revelation and truth. There's nothing to believe. And yet if God is speaking Christ, and we are hearing, then faith will come to be in you and I because by our hearing we come into a realization of the Christ who is in us. Now, 
if you examine what I have just said. That is a description of what the Bible calls the faith of Jesus Christ. Remember how numerous times in the Bible we're told that we need to have not our own faith, but the faith of Jesus. That's in the New Testament numerous times. Well, the faith of Jesus is the faith that comes to be through God's ongoing unfolding of Christ in us. Now, this ought to be fantastic news to see this. Because, again, it takes off of us all of the self-imposed pressure. And really, it's a bit of a deception of trying to muster up faith, even as Christians, from out of ourselves up to God, to get Him to help us, to get Him to do what we think He ought to do. No. We are simply told to hear God. God is going to be unveiling, unfolding Jesus Christ to us. And if we open and embrace, which is what it means to hear, ourselves to what God is revealing, then there will be a greater revelation of Christ in us and faith will come to be alongside of that. How could it not? For the faith of Jesus Christ is the product of God revealing Christ and us hearing what God is speaking in His Son. How many see that if this faith, this faith of Jesus Christ comes to be in us, that that's going to be real. It's going to be what Hebrews 11.1 1 calls substance and evidence. Faith is the substance and evidence of things not seen. We might expand that and simply say that true faith in the believer is the substance and evidence of the person of Jesus Christ in us. Because it's his faith. It's a product of having heard God's revelation of Christ to us and in us. Now, this brings us to a couple of other conclusions. Number one, you cannot have the faith of Jesus Christ for anything except what Jesus has faith for. It's the faith of Jesus Christ. Or to put it another way, if faith comes to be because God has spoken and we have heard, then you can't have faith for anything but the will of God or the truth. Because God doesn't speak anything but that. So in one fell swoop, we can do away with all of these ideas that if you want something, all you need to do is confess it, brainwash yourself into thinking that it's true and that you have faith, and it'll happen. No, you don't get to initiate these things. You don't get to speak. You don't get to initiate. You get to hear. And if you do hear, faith will come to be, and that faith will be real. It'll be the will of God, and it can't fail. How many understand that this firmly establishes Jesus Christ as Lord? And it shows us why we have to lose our lives to God. We're not on the throne on this matter. You have no authority to command God or to create reality or to create what you want in life. It's simply given to you and I to hear and to carry a cross and to surrender to Jesus Christ. 
Now, of course, Christian people have this habit of taking things like faith, taking things like I've just described, and turning it into something very mechanical, very doctrinal, sort of like we got to figure out what the right buttons are to push to get God moving. Or like they say on television, you need to activate your faith, that kind of garbage. Mostly by writing them checks, that'll activate your faith, or so we're told. And we turn this into nothing but just another religious practice, just another mechanical religious hoop to jump through, to stay right with God, to get his blessings, and so forth. Lots of people trying to figure out what they need to do, how they need to live, not because they love God so much, but because they want to stay on his right side so that they can get blessing from him or even get needs from him. And so, without even realizing it, we wind up under law. We wind up with faith, not because we've heard God speak his will, but we end up with a faith that is really in ourselves and in our ability to keep on God's good side. All of it is deception. I'll go back to something that I said at the beginning of this message that really stands front and center about the meaning of faith. When everything is said and done, and we're done talking about faith from the standpoint of doctrine, when we're done talking about faith and the nuts and bolts of it as to how it comes to be, in the end, faith is a relationship with God. Faith is my trust my dependence upon, my reliance upon, my surrender to, my losing of my life to, God through Jesus Christ. Now, why in the world would I depend on God? It would only be possible for me to depend on God if I had a revelation that God was dependable. Why would I lose my life to Jesus Christ in an unconditional surrender under the work of the cross unless I had a revelation that this was the truth and that I could say to him, into your hands do I commit my spirit, knowing that I'm in good hands and he'll be faithful. How many see again, you can't have real faith to depend upon God. You can't have real faith to give your life to Jesus Christ into a total loss under the cross. You can't do that and it be real unless you have received at least some revelation that God is dependable and faithful. Well, that brings us right back to Romans 10:17. God's going to reveal himself. That's the word God speaks. That's the unfolding of Christ. That is the word of God spoken of there in Romans 10:17. If we hear we're going to come in. It may be into an elementary and very small realization of the faithfulness of God. It may be no more profound than that. But if we come in to a realization of Christ by hearing God's revelation of himself, then the faith that comes to be is going to be real, and there's going to begin to be a relationship there based on faith. God cannot reveal himself to us in any other way except the truth. And the truth is, 
God is dependable, reliable, faithful. Jesus is Lord. That's the only truth there is. And that's how God will reveal himself. Now, we can memorize those concepts as doctrines. But then when the test comes, they wear real thin because we'll find out that we just believed them religiously or intellectually or emotionally. But if we have actually seen that God is this and know that God is faithful, then faith has come to be. Now that faith is going to be tested. And I've already mentioned how it's going to be tested. How is your faith that God is faithful tested? Well, you're going to be exposed to contradiction to God's faithfulness. You're going to be facing circumstances and even your own in nature and your own reactions that, that would suggest to you that God's forsaken you, that he hasn't forsaken, that he hasn't been faithful to you. You have to face contradiction to your faith in order to have what? To have not only your faith proven as valid, but to have the truth that that faith is on proven valid. How many recognized that if your faith is based on nothing more complicated than your belief that God is faithful? If your faith is based on that, how many understand that not only does your faith need to be tested, but God's faithfulness to you needs to be tested because that is what your faith is based on. And if you examine it, in almost any trial you find yourself as a believer. Isn't that really, in the end, the issue, the question? Is God true and faithful? Not generally, but to me and to you, specifically, right now, in the circumstance that you're in. Job began to confess that God was. As we read there, he says, But God knows my way. He knows the way that I'm in, that I'm taking. And when God has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Well, how many understand? I think Job is referring to his faith being uh, tested and coming forth as gold. But how many understand that faith can only come forth as gold if the truth upon which our faith is based is proven to be more precious and valuable than gold. God Almighty right now has his people in a process. It's a process where, yes, we suffer. It's a process wherein, yes, we're going to suffer loss. We're going to suffer loss if not of things. We're going to suffer the loss of everything about ourselves that we may have thought made us righteous. We are going to be turned inside out and exposed for the reprobates that we are in Adam. Why? Number one, because it's the truth. That is what we are. That is what every one of us are, like it or not. Number two, we need to be to be set free from it. Again, the truth will set us free. You let God expose you like that, you'll lose all of your righteousness all of your self-trust. But then you'll be able to put your faith in one other than yourself, in whom there is all righteousness, and in whom there is all life. And that's a relationship. Now, can we see that 
not only is our faith in God being tested there, but God himself is being proven as true to us. You look at all the examples in the Bible where the saints of old, all through the Old Testament and the New, went through great trial and contradiction to the word and to the faithfulness of God, where God gave them promises and they faced great conflict because of it, great contradiction to those promises, some of that of their own doing. And in the end, when God did get his will, and he always did, were they exalted as being those who had great faith? No, not really. There are times when God commended them for that. Abraham believed God, and God said that was good. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. But it was God that was proven faithful. It was God that was proven to be one upon whom we could rely and believe. Again, that's relationship based on a knowledge of God. Again, you can't believe God's dependable religiously and intellectually and emotionally. You have to see he is, and then that's got to be tested. And so you and I right now are, just by virtue of the fact that we're living, living in an age and facing forces of the enemy that are absolutely contrary to everything that God is. Our own nature, our flesh, is contrary to everything that Jesus Christ is in us by the Spirit. And there's this battle going on, and God allows circumstances to arise wherein, if we will simply believe and lose ourselves unconditionally to God for whatever it takes in those situations to Him, that yes, our faith will be strengthened, but it will be because God Almighty in Jesus Christ will be proven all the more faithful. And that's relationship. Faith is not a duty. Faith is not something that God demands under threat of punishment. God doesn't say, you better believe or else. My goodness, where are we going to get faith to believe? No, God is simply saying, listen, I have you in a difficulty. Yield to me for whatever it takes, that I may do my work in you. And if you do, if you hear what I'm saying, if you continually open yourself to me for the truth, I will be unfolding Christ to you. And if you hear, faith will come to be because Christ will come to be formed in you. This is what God is doing in a trial of faith. It is what he is doing in our lives. He's working a miracle. It's a miracle that comes out of the new birth. It's the miracle made possible by the redemption of Jesus Christ. That God in us is establishing a eternal relationship based on Jesus Christ and all the truth that is in him. God's doing that in us. It's not doctrinal. It can be expressed and explained in doctrine. It's not intellectual and it's not emotional. It is spiritual and it is reality in Jesus Christ. It's eternal. And God's doing that in the midst of chaos. 
in the midst of a realm and of a human nature in each one of us that is absolutely contrary to what God wants to do in his son. I think it's in Peter where it says, don't be shocked and surprised at the trial that comes upon you as if it was something out of the ordinary. Don't be shocked and surprised really about your own reactions, about the ugliness of your own heart that may be exposed uh, in the midst of a trial. Because as I noted earlier, God already knows that that's in there. You may be seeing it for only the first time and you may be shocked, but God already knows and he's already told us what we're made of. So when that happens, don't get all condemned and fearful about what was in your heart. Put it aside and go on with God. How many understand that no matter what rises up in our hearts and how ugly it is, because Jesus died for us and our life is Christ, we can put that aside, confess it, and move on with God on the basis of Jesus. We don't need to be dragged down forever lamenting and trying to do damage control on our failures. Confess it in Christ and move on. You don't need to do something to try to get forgiven by God. You confess it because you know you are forgiven. And so God is bringing us into a tremendous relationship with himself. In Job 23, where we read here, Job felt all hemmed in. He felt as if there was no way out. And he was right. There is no way out. If you feel like there's no way out, God would say to you and I, now you're getting the point. There isn't. Except through my way of escape, an inward revelation of Jesus Christ and the faith that will come to be because of that. How many understand that if you have the faith of Jesus and you believe God, you may still be in your circumstances, but you're actually out of them. You're above them in Christ, reigning and ruling. That's the real way of escape. Now, Job was beginning to see this, and he understood that he did not see God, but God saw him. He did not see the way yet. But God not only knew the way, but God was going to bring him to the place where Job saw that God was the way. I am the way, in other words. And so all of this in Job 23 is going to lead up to this tremendous end of the book of Job, where Job finally says, I thought I knew. I thought I knew. But now I see. As Proverbs says, and we'll end with this today, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean upon your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Make straight in the sense of keeping you in his will and in the truth. And so faith is a relationship word initiated by God, he begins to unfold the basis of relationship to us in Jesus Christ. And if we hear and if we embrace what God is revealing of Christ, 
Not only will Christ be formed in us, but the faith of Jesus will be there operative. And we will be in the truth, and God will have his purpose in us.